It's already the middle of January, and for many of us, we are in the full swing of those New Year's intentions. This week, though, we revisit 2022, before we then look at what markets may have in store for us in 2023. This is the weekly episode of the Expat Investor Podcast. I'm Tom Putris, and this week, I'll be joined by Jabir Sadawala, Skybound Capital's Chief Strategist. 2022 was definitely a memorable year, however, for all the wrong reasons. I don't think anyone could have guessed all the events that would unfold throughout the year. The year started off with inflation on the rise, which continued through the best part of 2022, and that forced central banks to raise interest rates, and only towards the end of the year could we see some signs of possible reversal in inflation. The Russia-Ukraine war unleashed geopolitical instability throughout the globe. And stubborn COVID lockdowns in China following recent unrests have only recently been lifted, triggering a spread of COVID and numerous deaths. The UK managed to have three different prime ministers throughout the course of 2022, and with that bringing uncertainties to their own economy. We witnessed much worker unrest and persistent strike and industrial action for inflation-linked wages. This has all contributed and leads to continued recession worries nearing the end of 2022 and into 23. All of this, as many of us know, has had global markets wobbling at the knees. So at this point, I'd like to welcome Jabir. Thanks for joining me today. No, thanks a lot, Tom. It's a real pleasure to be here. For sure. As we uh, as we all know by now, I think you know 2022 was certainly a roller coaster year for all things investments. But I mean, was there any winners? And and I guess who were the biggest losers last year, Jabir? Yeah, I mean, it it was really only one winner. If I'm being honest, that was commodities. And when when you play the the video recording back you know, in terms of how 2022 played out, um, we shouldn't be surprised. I think the element of surprise and the reason why markets took such a turn when it came to volatility is because nobody's been around long enough to actually know what inflation feels like, because we've had years and years, what feels like decades of hardly any inflation. Um, And then no one really sort of qualified enough to handle it. And that was the issue. It the the final the final catalyst was undoubtedly Russia Ukraine, and that just put the price of everything up. I mean, you had um, Russia sending jitters through the energy market, um, and I I mean all sectors. You know, people mm-hmm. typically think of energy as oil, and that they yeah. think that's the end all and be all. It's not. I mean, there's gas, there's coal, all of these things shot through the roof, and it was like a it was like a cascade effect. Um, but also food, because, I mean, by taking Ukraine, which I think was so strategic, it's it's another big granary. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, by controlling the land that the wheat has grown on and indeed other crops, um, they were able to control the outlets. And other emerging markets were feeling the full effects. It wasn't just the West. If you look at the way food prices have gone up um, in EMs, especially across Africa, countries like Ghana, for instance, they have gone through the roof. Um, And this was always going to be the problem. So without doubt, commodities, undoubtedly the big winner. you know, delivering something like over 16%. At one stage, it was even higher than that. 
Um, now, I know we're going to come on to it, but it's also quite remarkable how much they sold off towards the end of the year. Um, so actually, at one point, it was much, much higher than that. Um, the losers, I think, pretty much across the board elsewhere. You know, bonds took a hit. I know we're going to come on to that. Equities got absolutely slaughtered. Um, growth just got pummeled. Um, and it was becoming increasingly obvious that where do you find growth in an inflationary environment? And it was the reality that maybe this inflation's not only going to get worse, but it's going to be here to stay for much, much longer. Um, and that set the context. And I think that's gone into 2023. Um, and it's actually the the background to everything we're going to deal with this year. Okay. You mentioned you mentioned bonds in times of uncertainty. Bonds typically a safe a safe haven for us. No, Jabir, is that not the case last year? <laughs> no, I'm afraid not. And you know, if you go back even maybe another year or two. Um, when bonds and equities were going up together at the same time, yeah, um, yeah nobody actually said anything then about the flip side. <laughs> this was the well, irony no of the whole thing. When it's going well, right? No, so. they don't. This is exactly the point. But suddenly, when you are looking for bonds, as as one should, I mean, textbooks have made that very clear, and the logic is there. But when bonds are supposed to provide you with protection, um, well, that's certainly not what we got. And that was across the board, both uh, government bonds and corporates, by which I mean investment grade and high yield. And the logic is simple enough. You know, if you've got inflation going up with it, interest rates are going up, um, bonds are becoming less attractive. So if you're going to take those bonds on in your book, um, you need more incentive to do so. And hence those yields started going up and up and up. Um, and all of that once again comes back to inflation. So that was the problem. I mean, you, you actually had a situation where across the board with so many asset managers, we saw this in-house, but I also know of this outside as well. It's no secret that the lower, so the so-called lower volatility funds were the ones that were getting hammered more than the higher volatility funds yeah. because they had that bond component in there. Sure. Um, which in theory is what you're supposed to have. But they were getting, the bonds were getting hammered more than the equities. Um, so, and I think that's what actually spooked people. It then became this snowball effect whereby, right, so you've got inflation, which was far worse than anybody expected. Secondly, no sign of controlling it. Thirdly, central banks scaring the hell out of people saying, oh, my God, we're well behind the curve here. Yeah. We need to put the pedal on, you know, in terms of interest rates. And so you have rates going up and up and up. Um, and then with it, that roller coaster effect whereby people are thinking, crikey, do I get out of the markets and stay out, mm -hmm. even though inflation's destroying my wealth? Um, or do I stay calm and remain? Um, it's a difficult decision. It's a it's a tough psychological decision. Towards the end of the year, though, there seemed to, well, there appeared to be some light at the end of this very dark tunnel, and, and inflation in the US started to subside by the looks of it. Mm, absolutely. And, and Tom, that is the, you know, the, the old saying, don't time markets. Sure. It, it's always, it's what, when you're saying that to clients and potential clients, when markets are going down, they think you're, you know, you're, they think you're coming out with a marketing spiel. But Q4 demonstrated what happens when you exit the markets and you lose out all, on all that upside. 
And that, going back to my earlier comment about commodities, mm. um, they were much higher than that. But right. then Q4 comes along, all because you get the first signs of the headline inflation, and I want to emphasize headline inflation, starting to flatten out and actually coming down. And people are thinking, oh, this is great, because now this could potentially temper further rate hikes. Mm -hmm. um, and that's exactly what's happened. And I think actually that will continue certainly for much of Q1 yeah. um, and probably into Q2 as well. I can see that playing out. So has that had a positive impact on on things like the, the, the global equity markets, you know, things like small cap and they've had a horrible time last year. They had a relatively positive end to last year, did they? Definitely. If, if you if you put in front of somebody as a in a form of an exam question that here are the returns for Q4, <laughs> okay, yeah. you think, ah, oh, well, that's exactly where you want to be, okay. right? There were literally spectacular returns, um, even double-digit returns across many equity sectors um, because of that background of yeah. potentially declining inflation. Now, I don't think this year it's going to be as smooth. But uh, it's going to be a mixed picture and you probably need to be more active than even more so than last year. But, yeah, that's exactly the background to it. OK, so we've looked back a little bit and, and, and what 2022 had in store for us and we've all, all weathered that storm now. What's, what's our economic look, outlook for, for 2023 then? Right. So like all these things, let's, let's, let's kick off with the proverbial inflation story, sure. right? I think as far as things continue, in fact, just before our call, I was looking at a chart that showed European gas prices. They have really plummeted. Um, it, it's almost like an inverted V. You know, so the, this particular chart shows the Russia-Ukraine attack, um, gas prices going through the roof, and we know what that did in Europe and the impact that it had. Um, and then constant reports about Germany will go into recession. You know, it's not stocked up. It's totally dependent on Russia. And then the price peaking. And then especially in Q4, but actually even before then, it starts to come down quite dramatically. It's almost back to where it was prior to the start of uh, Russia, Ukraine. Almost, not quite. Now, coupled with the fact that Europe has done a remarkable job in building up its gas supplies. Uh, they are 90% of the way there. So if we get a horrific winter now, um, they have more than enough gas to see them through. Plenty. Um, and I have no doubt that during the course of this year, they will find other ways to stock up even more. If we get a mild winter, which generally is what we've had. So last year actually was one of the mildest uh, weather periods on record, despite the cold snap we had in December. Mm -hmm. um, we're going through another one this week, a cold snap. But it's yeah. not enough to actually cause, you know, a complete exhaustion of the gas supplies. So I think what's going to happen is uh, headline inflation will continue to come down because the key difference between headline and, and core is basically energy and food. Those are the two. Right. So if energy keeps coming down, in theory, you should expect it to. Um, it will be a harder task than people think. If you look at last week's U.S. inflation numbers, mm. it didn't come down as much as everyone had hoped. Yeah. So it came down by 0.1 of a percent month on month. That wasn't a lot, considering that inflation, uh, the energy itself came down by a lot more. The market so, still reacted relatively <clears throat> positively to that news, though, Jabir, in, yeah. in terms of, you know, we've seen the market over the last 12 months react 
horribly to some inflation data Correct. in terms of, you know, the wildest swings we've seen in the stock market for, for over a decade in terms of intraday, uh, you know, rise and falls, if you like. Um, mm. And I think, you know, last week we didn't see, you know, we didn't see a negative. Uh, no. I think we saw a very minor blip for maybe 30 seconds or so if you looked at uh, the, the really small candles for the day. But, you know, I think I think a lot of people are getting caught up between that, maybe that headline uh, inflation figure and actually core inflation. Exactly. That's absolutely right. I think they saw the headline number and they thought, OK, at least this seems to be cementing the downward trend. Um, and actually, frankly, politicians and central bankers are all fixated on the headline because this ultimately then goes into pricing by companies, uh, wage negotiations. As you probably know, we have quite a few strikes going on here in the UK. Um, all of this counts. But what those numbers did also confirm is that the core components like rent suddenly picked up again. It was actually up 0.8% month on month. So, you know, that was quite significant. Um, so I think that's going to be one of the key trends. Um, I, I'll come on to the risks in a, in a second because there's mm. a number of things that could derail what I'm saying right now. Um, the other thing is the China COVID easing. Yes. Now, there's a lot of noise around this. <laughs> But um, in the past, I've always tracked something um, uh, something that Goldman Sachs produces called uh, ELI, the Effective Lockdown Index. Essentially, it's, it looks at the, the potential growth that the world is losing out on as a result of different countries uh, keeping their citizens in lockdown because of COVID. And China is the single biggest contributor to the loss of growth uh, around the globe. Yeah, it's it's easily out of a total growth of something like one and three quarter percent that we're losing from various lockdown measures, China accounts for one and a half percent of it. It's quite staggering. <laughs> so now you've got the opposite okay. going on. Yeah. Right? You've got the opposite. And that should unlock not just a lot of growth, which helps the whole region in, you know, out there, all the Asian countries that export to China, right down to Australia. Mm. Um, but it also should in, induce some uh, some easing up in the supply chains, which is beneficial for inflation again. Yeah. Um, I don't think it'll be as huge as everyone perhaps expects, but there will be some easing. So that's the second factor. You've got this big growth boost. Mm. The third factor that people have um, really underestimated and where I feel this cycle is so different to any other is just how tight that labor market is. Yeah. It's so tight. I've, I've compared what we're going through to the 1960s and the 70s. The market was never tight back then, not mm. to this extent today. Um, and that was and probably it, the last time we saw inflationary levels at, you know, getting on towards exactly, where we are right now. Right? And exactly, that's why we go back to what right. you said earlier. No one around us today who's kind of becoming invested or getting invested or entering that journey has been around in this marketplace. No one understands inflation like the 1960s and that's what exactly. we're that's what we're going through absolutely right i mean imagine if you were starting your career in the 1960s then mm. today 60 70 years later you're going to be in your you know i don't know depends yeah. what age you started but you're going to be in your 80s, 80s. Yeah. Sure, yeah exactly well how many people are around from that era i mean you've got george soros right you've got the yeah. legend <laughs> um and they're all making a lot of money out of this i bet no two ways about it imagine if you started your career in the 1970s then mm. you're only a dec you know 10 years younger well you're yeah. still in your 70s 
Um, Jerome Powell, Janet Yellen, all these characters. Mm. Um, so it's true. There's hardly anyone around. And there's this very political thing around it as well. Um, yeah. It's not easy trying to, to get measures through. So that tightness is not something that's going to go away. And I think what will happen is that, well, I mean, you're already seeing increasing wage rises, mm. but they are they are currently behind the headline rate. I think eventually they will be when headline comes down to core, that's when the three will be in unison. Um, and that's a boost for growth. Coupled with the fact that during COVID, everybody were given handouts by the governments. So the bank think, accounts were replenished. Yeah. Do you think 2023 will be a, do you think headlines this year will be retrenchment, you know, um redundancies is that going to be a, a theme this year we've already seen it with the likes of yeah. amazon and yeah. um you know other other companies in the us already cutting job forces goldman sachs cutting something like seven percent of their workforce That's right. um is that going to be a common theme this year in order to you know loosen that job market a bit i i don't think it'll be a common theme I think uh, with all these guys, there's there's a rationale behind it. Mm -hmm. So the financial sector, like Goldman Sachs and others, um, that's because they haven't made as much revenue from trading. So um, you know th these have been tough times. So they're laying off uh, a whole bunch of individuals. Um, in the technology space, that's been beaten up quite badly. Yeah. Um, so they're looking for more economies of scale, and so they're laying off people. Um, so there are certainly sectors that are perhaps or have been maybe not overstaffed, but where there's a little bit of slack. But, you know, if if you accept that by and large, these are probably skilled workers, yeah. then I think they'll be taken up by other sectors who are still in short supply. You know, you take the services sectors, um, retail and all of that. It's mm -hmm. uh, they're still crying. They simply can't get enough workers. Uh, industry and so on. So I think there's scope to take it. And the other point that I would make is that the the kind of layoffs we've seen so far are a drop in the ocean compared sure. to where we need to be. The job ad boards around the globe are still running into millions. Mm -hmm. They might be slowing down a bit, but you have to do something so drastic as to make companies want to take down those job ads. Um, and I to my mind, that would require a depression. I mean, yeah. I, I can't see yeah. any other way of doing this. Yeah. So, you know, on the labor market, to summarize, I mean, if you still got rising wages, even if it's still behind inflation, doesn't matter. That's negative, mm -hmm. you know, in, in real terms. Rising wages um, <clears throat> and um, the fact that it's still so ever so tight out there you know, and people have got savings, that's still spending power for the economy. Yeah. So you put all of that together and possibly some alleviation in the geopolitical tension that we have around the globe. I mean, I think Putin is looking for a way out. It's, it's down to the West now to give him something. Mm. Um, but he is definitely he's, he's suffering like mad. There's no doubt about it. So unless he's got a master plan B, which is then potentially a risk. Um, I, you know, it, it doesn't take much to bring the risk premium down. Um, so what, what does that mean in terms of outlook? Well, uh, you probably noticed the dollar has already been coming off its dizzy heights. Uh, yes. I think that will probably continue, not because the dollar is weak. Um, it's just that it got to incredibly high levels and now there's a, a bit of a relaxation out there in markets. So that's quite normal. 
dollar sells off. And where does it go? Well, around the globe. Um, Goldman Sachs, uh, was it last? I think it was last week, came out with a revised growth forecast for Europe. And they reckon that Europe will now um, escape a recession this year. They're forecasting overall growth of something like 0.6%. Well, what a turnaround that was. Yeah. Because, you know, prior to that, everybody, not just them, everybody was saying, you know, it's a definite recession. But Europe seems to have a flying start to the year. You know, you've got the FTSE hitting uh, all-time records and yeah. the likes of uh, Germany you know, is having, having a good start to their yeah. uh, economic market value. So, um, yeah, I mean, if they can avoid recessions, wow. I mean, what, what a story that would be for the headlines, right? Yeah, I completely agree with you. And um, also, you know, in terms of uh, portfolios, currency is always a factor. You cannot ignore currency. Now, what happened last year was that with the dollar kicking the hell out of every other currency out there, if you are a non-dollar investor, mm. um, one of the best trades was to go into U.S. equities for the most part in a non-U.S. dollar currency. And as even if one, even if equity stayed flat sure. uh, or came down even, but your currency was just you know falling through the yeah. floor yeah. um bizarrely you actually made money from that because of the conversion <laughs> right yeah. um well i think this time what people need to watch out for is that if you are a non-dollar investor um and with the dollar selling off you mm. need to think about how to balance out that fx risk yeah. so maybe a combination of half 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 us uh, or half us dollar and half non-US dollar, and that will smooth out the FX effects. And where do you go to for that? Well, all the non-North American places, Europe and emerging markets, you know, and there are certainly quite a few attractive ones uh, outside the usual BRICS consortium. Um, I mean, we've had a, the Asian markets now in technically, I think, a ball run, isn't it? I mean, you know, up over 20% since the low of October. So yeah, uh, that's extraordinary. <laughs> Correct. Absolutely. And, you know, Tom, I think it just illustrates how you've got to, if you're going to run a portfolio in this environment, you've got to be active. Yeah. Now, I don't know what is an acceptable level of turnover, but um, obviously on the one hand, you want to try and minimize your turnover for trading costs, understandably. Mm. But at the same time, You've got to be cognizant that, you know, you don't just hold on to your positions when you might potentially be getting hurt on them. Yeah. Um, and that's always the tough one. And I, th I think um, it's a warning sign for anybody that takes a very uh, standard passive approach to these things. You've mm. got to be active. There's, there's just no other way around it. Yeah, um, I think for the years that we've had over the, the last decade, it was probably relatively easy to be a passive investor and throw a dart at the dartboard and, and make money. And thanks to technology, and, and I did a, a podcast on this a couple of weeks ago with, you know, analysing the differences between uh, robo-advising and discretionary and advisory and everything like that. But you know, we've had this DIY decade, right, where everybody has been able to access the internet and access trading platforms, which again, has never been seen before. And if anybody is a Netflix, what Netflix watcher out there today, you know, you've seen the Bernie Madoff documentary yeah. and then watching how that market has come together over a very short period of time. It wasn't that long ago when it took three weeks to place a trade, right? And yeah. it was done by a telephone and a piece of paper and everything like that. Um, and today I can log on my phone and I can buy Apple stock within 30 seconds. Exactly. Um, but it is really credit to it. it's times like these and it is really credit to that, 
you know, being staying invested. One, you know, you've yeah. represented that already and and seeing the results of Q4 and the turnaround and how quickly that can happen. And um, and here at Skybound Wealth, you know, we always talk about the statistics of missing the best 10 days in a decade, missing the best yeah. 30 days and how detrimental all those things can be. And no one actually believes you until it happens, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And and staying invested is really important. And then, like you say, having that, that active element to your portfolio and yeah. and whether that be all of it or some of it or a majority of it, but having an active element um, alongside yeah. passive potentially is, is key and, and building that all weather portfolio that we do here at Skybound um, yeah. is critical to success, I think, in times like this. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think, you know, what last year showed is how you can have several cycles within a year. Yes. Um, you know, if if you literally split it into those four quarters, I mean, this is like stating the obvious, but mm. Q1 was bumping along until you had Russia, Ukraine, Q2 nightmare, Q3. I mean, just for a moment, it looked like we we're going to recover and then Q3 sunk it down again. Yeah. Uh, and then Q4, complete turnaround. You know, you had four different cycles in one year. Now, if you're if you're not taking a view and, and the and the one litmus test throughout all of this was what was happening to inflation. Mm -hmm. you, know, you could almost actually go back with hindsight now and mm -hmm. say, right, what's happening here with inflation? OK, position accordingly. Yeah. Um, so and, and the other point, as you were speaking then about, you know, passive. If you prior to last year you could have just bought yourself an S&P ETF mm. and that would have thrashed out something like 15, 16% annualized. Yeah. 15, 16% annualized. It's just <laughs> for doing nothing. Yeah. For doing nothing. And that would cost you what, 10 bips, something like yeah. that? If that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, we're in a different environment now. Um, and I don't think we're over. Second half is going to be fascinating. I, you know, I, I reserve the right to change my view for second half, because I think if demand does pick up, then that's going to put uh, pressure, upward pressure on energy prices again. Yes. And um, that happens. Headline inflation picks up. It's going to take a lot longer than the authorities are making out to get inflation under control. If you could summarize the risks that, that could maybe derail this year. Um, Putin deciding to dig his heels in even okay. more, you know, pulling out a, a real rabbit from the hat. I don't know what mm. that could be. No, exactly. I'll agree um, with you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think definitely inflation suddenly doing a U-turn and not leveling out or indeed coming down. Uh, and there are many reasons why that could happen. Mm. Um, it could be even natural ones like weather related. Okay. Um, those China? are is China an issue? I mean, they've got some political tensions there, and potentially President Xi being under a bit of pressure if he doesn't manage to come out of this this lockdown all that well. Is that is that an issue for me, us to think about? It is if he doesn't come out of this. But you mm. know, I think actually, I mean, I think one of the most amazing things about the the man is the fact that he's been able to do a U turn so quickly. Mm. Um, you know, he's he. He bowed, he caved in to the rioters yeah. uh, early enough to take action. And look at the action he took on COVID. That's the biggest risk he runs now. 
So that is undoubtedly a risk. If it turns out that more people are dying than they, you see, their official definition of a COVID death is that they somebody dies from a respiratory illness. Right. But it's not always. It doesn't always have to be like that. It yeah. can be something that induces an existing condition, but triggered by COVID. So it's all a play on numbers. But um, yeah, if he's unable to get that under control, and it will take him a good three months, we've seen that in the West, then uh, he's got some problems on his hands. Um, but yeah, definitely. Jabir, it's been fantastic to have you along today. I appreciate your time yeah. as always and your insights uh, are more than valuable. I hope the, the listeners today have enjoyed themselves and uh, we look forward to having you along again soon. Thank you very much, Tom. Appreciate it. Thank I you, really Jabir. enjoyed it. Thank you. Once again, it's always great to have Jabir along and, and I really do love talking to him. Um, he's always got something um, interesting to say and educational about what's, uh, what's happening out there. So I think at the end of the day, you can't really ever draw too many conclusions um, from 12 months of returns as they're pretty unlikely to have much bearing on future performance. So rather than just react to recent short-term gains and losses, I think it's far better to stay focused on your long-term investment plan and your long-term financial plan. And that, of course, should involve a well-diversified portfolio, as we were just talking about. Giving your wealth ultimately the best chance to weather whatever conditions are out there and whatever 2023 may have in store for us. This was recorded on the 16th of January 2023 and all information was correct at the time of recording. I'm Tom Putris and as always this podcast is for educational purposes only and it is not a personal recommendation. If you're unsure of what's right for you, you should seek advice. Past performance isn't a guide of the future and investments rise and fall in value so you could get back less than what you invest.